It's true. I think when you talk about growth, I think a lot of an adult's growth comes from unlearning all the things that we've learned, really. it's. I think we have to be open to unlearning. And I think that will help our children continue to grow in the way that we hope, you know, for our future generations and leaders to become. Welcome to the Grow Tribe. Hi, I'm Melissa McGowan, and I love that you're choosing growth. In this podcast, we shine a light on the diverse, messy, and real ways that you grow in leadership and life. We reflect, connect, and share what growth means to us. After two decades supporting growth in business, and of course my own, I firmly believe that where you go with your energy, time, focus, money, and precious resources, you actually grow. We're better together, so stay curious, stay awesome, join our tribe, and feel alive. Thanks so much for being here and being part of the Grow Tribe. It would be amazing if you shared this podcast with others at home, at work, gave it a rate and review in Apple Podcasts, and shared any ideas about what you want to hear more about or who you want to hear from. I love to hear your updates. If you're interested in learning about how to become a Chief Energy Officer, you're looking to fuel your impact in, and your performance, could be you, could be your team, have a look at the link in the show notes about where to start. And as always, drop me an email if you're looking for any support or you've got any insights that you want to share on growth. It's melissa, M-E-L-I-S-S-A, at go2grow.com.au. Thanks, everyone. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast, Go to Grow. Here we are. Today, I am joined by Ramita Anand, and we are going to talk about elevating to grow. Now, Ranita was born and raised in Vancouver in Canada. She's spent, well, a number of years teaching. Um, she's a true global citizen. She's lived in London and worked in inner city schools there. She's also lived in New York and she now resides in Singapore. And not only has she got really extensive classroom-based teaching experience, she's now taken that and she's doing something really awesome with it. She became particularly interested in supporting children with challenges. And this came after her son, who's now 10 years old, was diagnosed with autism at age four and working through his development on a daily basis, cognitively, socially, emotionally, and physically, really taught her a lot about neurodiversity. So having experienced her own insecurities, as many of us do, but Ramita lost her mother at a young, vulnerable age, she has established her own business now called Elevate Ra, and she has a clear vision, and, and it's an awesome vision, to provide a platform where girls can thrive by harnessing the key attributes of confidence, resilience, empathy, emotional intelligence, and the often undervalued attribute of kindness. So she's created a learning framework. She's really using her superpowers here to guide children to foster their own superpowers by bringing together all of that in-classroom experience and her personal and lived experience in one-on-one -on -one teaching as well as her role as a parent. So we are going to talk about, well, girls, kids, confidence, and all of that goodness today. Um, I, can, I only wish that 
I had a Ramita in my life back when I was a preteen or teen girl. So welcome to the Grow Tribe, Ramita. Oh, thank you so much for having me. What a delightful invitation to be part of this wonderful community you've created. So thank you. I'm honoured. No, it's great to have you here. And I, I love that this has become quite a, um, a global community, certainly in the people that have been on the podcast, but increasingly the people that are listening to the podcast. And whilst we've all been a very absorbed last year in the tentacles and implications of COVID, what I think we're seeing and, and continue to come back to in, in 2021 is things that haven't changed, the conversations that we still need to be having, that we always needed to be having. And I think today is a great example of that, certainly how we support our young people, our young girls. I've worked um, as a senior leader in business trying to catalyze change around the diversity, not just females, but representation in general, and then importantly, inclusion for a number of years. I've been the only myself um, many times, and I'm I'm deeply passionate about it, obviously, as a, a mother of four as well, and two girls and a 10-year-old girl in the mix, as we were just discussing. So your work is not just um, helpful, obviously, for these kids, but for us parents as well. And and like I, like I like to say, you know, we are leaders in our own life. You know, when I talk about us all being leaders, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're running businesses or we're leading big teams in the corporate world. We might be, but we're also wearing other hats. And those hats um, often come on at the kitchen table or around the kitchen bench. And, you know, they are some of the most impactful leadership moments that we have. So really, really pleased to have you here today joining us from Singapore. And how are things in Singapore at this time? Yeah, you're right. Um, it's been, whilst you look around and see what's happening around the world, I feel grateful uh, to be in Singapore, to be honest. I know there are lots of people not in the same good fortune that I am, which means that we are still able to, in a very cautious way, have a life. Uh, the kids are back at school and the schools are open, which in itself is a massive saving grace for all parents that are trying to work at this time. Um, you know, my heart goes out to those that are trying to homeschool and be online with work calls and the rest of it. Um, it's challenging everywhere else. But no, Singapore has uh, been very gradual and very slow to change anything since last year. We had a very, you know, as the rest of the world did, a very strict lockdown, but nothing was yeah. ever really lifted, if that makes sense. Things would really incrementally changed here. In, we went from example, seeing five people to eight people in just the last few weeks. So that's kind of how we've been coping, but it still means that we're able to go out and do things more than other places. It's, it's somewhat similar actually to, to um, Victoria, Australia, where I am at the moment. But you know, when you talk about your heart going out at the moment in particular, and you might relate to this too, People, um, parents, working parents in the UK, yeah. I think are, are doing it tough. And, you know, we had an extensive lockdown here last year and I look back on that now. And, of course, I think the benefit of hindsight, you really recognise how, you know, stressful situations were. And I, I feel for the people in the UK at the moment. Yeah, particularly as the last lockdown in the UK was um, sort of springtime. So you still had the benefit of the longer days and you could, yes. you could still get out after homeschooling possibly. Um, but I think the deep dark winters where it's dark at four o'clock 
and you mm. just spent the whole day on your computers doing Zoom classes. It just cannot be easy for them. So, yeah, no. if, if for all my friends and all my family in the UK, I'm, I'm thinking of you and I love you and I we're, just hope all we're of cheering us, you on. We really are. We really are. We really are. Um, so, come, you know, best of luck and I hope it all ends soon. Roll on this vaccine. Totally. I mean, if, if there was in ever a moment to reinforce that kind of oxygen mask to the self yeah. for parents, because, you know, I kept having this thing in my life, like the kids will probably be all right if the parents were all right. And when everything feels tight, you know, it just impacts the whole family. And I found that happened a few times with us. I was like, oh, wow, we need to kind of hit the release valve here and just get a bit of tightness out of, out of this house right now. Yeah. So, yeah, I... I uh, I feel a shout out to everyone in the UK. So, um, Ramita, I like to ask people uh, Mm -hmm. when we dive into this conversation, we we do get personal quite quickly. (laughs) And I like to ask people when they feel alive, like when do you feel really alive in your life? Such a great question, actually, because there's so many things that come to mind about, you know, gratitude of just being alive and being healthy. Um, being the first thing that came to my mind when I thought about that question. But I think um, to be really reflective on that question, I think my truest sense of feeling me, um, humor is what got me through a lot of my difficult times. And I'm really blessed to have had a set, uh, you know, my siblings, my brother, my sister, um, we we had a tough you know tough time after my mum but i think humor got us through a lot of difficult times and then i was very fortunate to find a husband who equally is able to make me laugh in a way that most people you know really can't even when i'm feeling my grumpiest so one of my answers to your question would be is when i'm surrounded by my family the people i love the most and we are having a real belly laugh over something that happened in the day that whether we've been on the beach all day or we've been skiing together or whatever we've been doing something simple as having a meal together but really making the most of it and poking fun at one another and having great banter really that's kind of my my where I feel whole where I feel great yeah I mean it 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 is that bringing in the the light isn't it and sometimes we just have to laugh yes (laughs) Yes, yes. And, you know, I cry a lot too. That's not to say that I don't cry, but I'm a, I'm a crier and I'm a laugher. And sometimes I do both simultaneously and that's always the best <laughs> for me. But, yeah, I think I think being surrounded by my, my loved ones and being, you know, being in the moment with yeah, them. Great. Yeah. Um, those who have listened before would have heard me talk about the grow zone, this idea of, knowing and owning our superpowers, doing work where we can actually utilize those superpowers, have it land, add value, feel valued, and, and, and enjoy and be passionate about what we do. And it's a privilege and, I mean, it's just amazing when people go through life and build up a series of, you know, diverse series of experiences, work, personal, professional and get to the point where they've been able to figure out, you know, what that grow zone is for them, and, and get into that. I know we turn, we talk we talk about purpose and reason for being, and and it takes some time. I'd love you and start wherever you like um, to tell us about how you got to this point where you're now in in what I see. I think is the, is the grow zone for you. 
and doing great work, you know, and, and perhaps a little bit about your backstory and if this was a conscious journey and, and, and tell us about the work you're doing now. And then I'd love to ask some questions, you know, for us to, to help us all with our, with our um, preteen and, and our young girls and boys. Sure, sure. Um, it's so funny that you say that because, Melissa, I just listened to Simon Sinek, who I'm a massive, I'm sure many of you are, a fan with Brené Brown um, talk about this idea that purpose, vision, mission, inspiration, these words are sort of sat there without real yes, objective definitions and what, how we define it for each other is different. So I, I, was, I caught myself thinking about all of those words in my own context. So I think your question is a really good one. And I think like you say, we are all the result of the different experiences that we've all had individually that bring us here. But when you meet someone like you, for example, you see that we're both in a a purpose or we're in a mission, we're in a place in our lives where we are trying to do something for the greater good. Um, and our mission becomes a little bit more uh, broad. It becomes something you want to leave behind, something you want to do. And I think what he was saying in his interview is that a lot of people come to this place if you look at presidencies, the first if they the first presidency is all about what I can change and what I can do and how popular I can stay so I can get re-elected. And then the second term, which you know that's your last one, that's it. It's all about legacy. And he said that if you look at that in the context of, of people's lives, lots of us get to that when we're in our 60s or 70s. Why aren't we teaching this to kids in their early childhood education? Why aren't we telling this to 20-year-olds when they graduate from university? You know, building something that you can leave behind that's for the greater good should start you know from a very young place or as early as we can and I think that for me I'm not young I'm not 21 and I'm certainly not 70 I'm somewhere in the middle there but I thought that that was a really nice reminder about purpose and what we're doing all of this for how do we grow as you say so that we're not just chasing some invisible trophy at the end of this there isn't one there just isn't is there um so for me really a lot of this started teaching has been my passion it's been my happy place i've always loved working with children i came to that i think i i grew up thinking i was going to be a doctor and i don't know if that's because I'm an Indian girl, uh, and, and that's just what all Indian girls are told they have to be, if, if not a lawyer or a doctor. But I, I definitely wanted to help people, um, and education was definitely a big part of our life. Uh, and I, I love the sciences. I've always enjoyed math and science, so I think I, I thought it was a natural fit. Um, and it didn't really work out that way. I didn't go to med school. I lost my mum in the middle of my teen years, so uh, my family life was pretty chaotic growing up. I had two younger siblings. My dad was doing his best to, to, to get the house back on. But my mum was really the, the foundation of our home and she carried everything. So when she went, it felt like the, the, the stability of our home had just collapsed. And my dad's kind of quick fix or solution to this was, right, I better just get remarried and bring somebody else to help build us up again. Um, and, and, you know, that was his way of coping. He didn't really have the school, the skills or the tools probably he needed to think about other strategies to, to engage in. And then that's what we did. He, so we, we then, you know, very quickly in our year, you know, had to adapt to his new wife. Um, and that brought it on its own challenges. And, and it was, became quite, you know, apparent that life at home wasn't going to be stable for a while uh, because of all of the changes and, and relationship adjustments that we were all making 
But despite all of this, my goal in terms of using education as a superpower never really left. And my mum being my mentor and my sort of inspiration for how much she cared about school uh, was stayed with us, really. So I, I poured a lot of my energy into to being at school. I was that geek that wanted to come home from school, get homework done, first person to hand it in, couldn't wait to get to the advanced class of the next subject. You know, I really love school for the academics. Socially, I think I found it challenging. Um, I sort of missed what other girls had. I missed going shopping with my mom. I missed, you know, all that transitional period when you're growing and you, you know, need to buy your first bra, for example, or you need, you know, you're going through all of those things. I, I missed that with my mom a lot. So I found that void very difficult, I think, but didn't again know how to deal with it. Was sort of bearing it, chin up, keep going. It doesn't matter. You're okay, Ramita. And I carried on doing that for a long time, I think. Uh, and school was, you know, and university was a happy place for me. I, I didn't mind it. I didn't know what I was going to do other than keep going. And that's kind of what I think is important and a good reminder for children is that you don't have to have it figured out, but just take the next step. Take the next step. And then, so I did. So I went to university, did, you know, all while sort of keeping things trying to keep things a little bit stable at home for my siblings at least um, and then I took a bit of a gap year after my first degree and went off to India and did a bit of traveling for six months wanted to reconnect with some of my family get to grips with my roots which you know born, born in Canada it was great we had a lot of family and extended family but I really wanted to experience India for India <clears throat> and it was there when I went to visit one of my uncles who worked in an army and went to visit an orphanage with him and started reading to kids and helping them learn English and I just thought wow this is it this is what I want to do I'm going to go back and apply to teachers college so that's how I ended up in education and I got my education degree at that point and then during my education degree um, I got recruited to teach in London and I thought what a, wow what a great escape what a great opportunity at that point for me London was Notting Hill and Hugh Grant so anything anything that could take me closer to those two things was going to be a winner in my mind so off I went um you know this my, my siblings were sort of at this point also a bit more sorted in their decisions and career making choices um so I felt like it was a good time for me to say I'm going to off to do something for myself and that's really how I ended up in teaching um did that for years and as you said in your intro I, I was fortunate enough to work in state schools, inner city schools, and then I also, you know, in the last sort of five, six, seven, eight years, uh, gosh, even longer now, if I think of a stop, when you stop to think about it, you realize how long you've been doing this. Um, I have worked in in, private, in the private sector as well. So I've experienced all sorts of things, you know, in terms of challenge with children on both ends of, of that uh, educational journey. Uh, and yeah, it was when we moved to Singapore and it became apparent that my old job back in London may not be what I'm going to continue doing because I didn't know how long I would be in Asia for, that I decided that I wanted to amalgamate this, this, all this information, this stuff, this insight that I've been sitting on for all these years between my own journey as a student, as a young teen girl, and then as a teacher and then the one arm that I didn't talk about was then becoming a mother in myself and that part of my educational journey changed so my having my son changed how I what I was teaching I was still teaching kids in the junior school but it became more apparent as a, in the journey of a mum of a child with additional needs how lonely I was as a mum 
I just didn't find enough people I thought I could reach out to. Maybe I didn't, again, know how to make it clear what I needed at that point and what kind of support I wanted because it was also new to me. I was so lost. And I thought to myself, wow, I see parents all the time. I see children all the time. If I can do something to create a bit of a community and a connection with other parents so that they don't feel alone when they're going through their own challenges with their children, then I want to be able to do that. So that's when I re went back to training in, in working with kids with additional needs and I, I, I set up work in that field. And I was doing that before I moved to Singapore. And between all of the things I learned between with those kids, the kids I worked with before that, and then my own journey, I decided that one of the ways I could give back was to create something that looks at girls in the round from the point when they're at their most impressionable and vulnerable, and I think that's pre-teenage group. Oh, lots of good stuff there. Um, having worked in business for a long time and um, people and culture leadership roles, I've found myself often reassuring parents that it's okay if their kids don't know what they want to do mm. when they're in, you know, even in high school. Um, because I see the end product of adults later down the track who have ended up moving into careers very different from what they, you know, not, maybe not even connected to how scholarly or not they were. But, you know, this point around that there's so many, so many pressures on kids these days and yet we know they're going to have different careers and all of those kinds of things. And it's just one example mm. of something that I found myself saying, but also because I need to kind of, you know, remember that for myself. So what would you offer up to us, um, us parents who are listening what what do we what what might we need to be thinking about? What are the opportunities here to support our young girls with a bit more intention and mm -hmm. go where you like? Yeah, it's a very common concern, isn't it? I think we all think that we're educating ourselves to attain something at the end, and that attainment is a job. But we've seen you know, in the recent phenomena, I think that the jobs that our children are going to do probably haven't even been invented yet, right? I think they're going to come with the, the years of great inspiration that our children are bringing to us. So I heard Brené Brown say something really interesting when she was signing her daughter up to university. And she said to her daughter, if you already know what you're going to be when you, by, before you get into university, I'm not paying for it, you know? But if you don't know what you want to be and you're going into university just to be curious and to learn and to open your mind to as many things as you can and then work out what you want to do in life, then I'll pay for your university education. And I thought that was a really telling thing because I think from so many other parents, we'd all be like, oh, my daughter's sorted. She knows what university she's going to. She knows what courses she's going to take. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I hear that in Australia. I've lived and worked in the US as well. And I... It, it becomes a bit of a symbol. Yeah. 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 What college they're going to and all of that kind of stuff. And we think that that's what they're working towards and we think it's going to bring them some sort of, well, accomplishment and a happiness. And ultimately, if you look at how you define happiness, that's one thing. And I think first and foremost, what we really want our, par our parents to think about when they think about their children is to treat them 
as their own person and not to be very, very careful not to transmit what our hopes and expectations are or somehow our dreams are onto them. You know, we really want them to be the person that they want to be because they will be the best at that. And when they are the best at what they do, they will be their happiest. So ultimately, you're you're winning if you can instill that goal into your children rather than striving for something that we don't know will bring them happiness or not. Which which is just huge in itself, isn't it? Like the concept of having awareness as a parent of, I mean, you said how we trans, transmit maybe hopes and expectations, but I also think about limitations, you know, because we've all got belief systems. And as we know now, the brain, it's all by age seven, you know, kids are sponges and they're, they're hearing the tone, the language, um, you know, of those important figures in their lives around them. And it starts to inform that inner voice and that inner yeah. self-talk. Yeah. And I just think, wow, if we, if we can grow awareness as parents and how amazing if we can do this at, at a stage where these young girls can have the best opportunity to have good, healthy self-esteem. Yeah, absolutely. It's so crucial. If, if their self-esteem is built up, if their self-worth is strong, then they're not going to limit themselves to things. I, th- You know, how many girls I know that are scared to do maths or scared to do engineering or just because they've got this in their head, you know, they've been given some sort of strange information. Oh, boys are better at maths. Who says? Well, if you look around, you, you've been socially conditioned to feel that way. And, and yes, certain things in schools can help change that. But but ultimately, it's by us saying there are no limits. You know, go for it. Don't don't set yourself these limitations, as you say. So help us with a bit of the how on some of this. You know, what are some practical things? Because most parents are, uh, want the best for their mm. kids. Mm. Um, yet, you know, there's busyness, there's conflicting priorities there's challenges in houses and all those things going on so there's often a gap between what we you know the intention and and that impact Mm. tell us a little bit more around some of the things you know that that you do or that we could be doing to to bring some practical how to some of this for people Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. That's a really good question. And I, I'll do my best. Um, I'm not an expert. I'm just, you know, I'm learning on the job as well. But I think one of the things that parents and, you know, even educators, possibly, we, we have to remember what we're rewarding our children for, you know, what do they think they're in it for? And a lot of that, if you ask a young child, their answer will be, uh, because I have to get a good grade. You know, I have to study to get a good report card. Why do you need a good report card? Uh, you know, and, and some of them will say to get, you know, really early on will say to get a good job, to be rich, to be like Richard Branson or whatever it is they think that, you know, and, and again, this comes from the news. Or the, and I think parents say it really well when kids see, you know, amazing cars and things. I've heard parents on the street say, well, if you work really hard at school, you can own a car like that when you're older. So quite early on, we're starting to put this, you know, do really well in school do really well and what does really well mean well also and hustle yeah like work really hard <laughs> yeah yes yes you have to work very hard like don't sleep basically um you know and, and you're on this hamster wheel of working really hard and chasing these grades it starts so young and it continues into them and it probably goes into the workforce so i think if we think back 
we take a step back from all of that and and we tell and we and the messaging that we start to use and the language that we start to use around our children around what defines their success what makes them feel good what makes them feel happy is important um so yes get you know get a good report card but get it for yourself don't don't do it in comparison to student xyz you know don't make them feel bad because their sibling was always great in maths and always got A's and why aren't you getting A's in maths? You know, there's there's a lot of things around siblings that creep in and, and different children have different learning styles and I can do a whole other podcast on that. But, but, you know, just taking each child for them, I think that's really important. And the thing that I think that really sort of spiraled my love for, for Elevate and, and creating Elevate RA was this idea that we work so hard at giving them education you know giving them the ability to solve an algebraic equation we might tell them how certain things came in you know the history of this and the power of that and all of that is wonderful knowledge but what we aren't giving them is are the skills to use that knowledge with confidence with empathy with kindness what's the point of having all this information getting the top job if you don't know how to relate to other people and i think we give this idea of being the winner or being the fastest growing company or being the fastest growing this or the fa- you know living in this world where you're always trying to be the next best thing but what if the best thing was you being able to sit down and showing some sort of empathy for somebody else going through a difficult time what if you were able to have the skills to deal with challenge which we know exists in life you know there's no way around it Kids will face challenge. Nobody could have controlled the situation in 2020, no matter what. But if we teach our children the word resilience from a very young age and what it means to be a resilient child, then when they're adults, those letdowns, those falls don't become so difficult to deal with. And I think those are the things we want our children to grow up with, not just AIDS. if that i don't know if that sort of answers part of your question or if you'd like more tips mm. on things but yeah i think those ideas around the five superpowers make up to me a successful and happy child yeah oh, but i'm also hearing you say which i think is the, probably one of the hardest things sometimes as a parent acceptance you know so i remember reading a book years ago um uh, about you know the apple falling far from the tree, <laughs> and as a parent, you know how how hard that is. And it's a it's a very it's a big thick book with a lot of I think it's called by Andrew Solomon off the top of my head. Um, and I mean he goes through you know chapters of children who ended up doing high school shootings and different things where you know the children uh, you know they fell so far from the tree, but that ultimately despite all of that the the theme was around getting to a place of acceptance of mm. difference mm. and um you know as parents how they could do that even in the face of their children having done you know really um atrocious things you know but i think that acceptance um is is interesting but i'm also hearing you say it's not just the parents is it like i mean this is also um working with educators and other people to help them build more skills around this yeah you're right i mean especially in the in the parents obviously play a big role in this and and like you say the role modeling so if you are working really hard and you are not stopping to eat dinner and you are not off your phone then then they see that and they assume that's what working hard looks like so you know without realizing we are shaping their 
their subconscious brain into totally. envisioning what hard work looks like. It looks like dad getting up at the crack of dawn and mom not sleeping or whatever. You know, all of those things play a big part or you work that hard to go on a really nice holiday and it's those two weeks in the year that mum and dad are present with us or not you know it's it's a very interesting phenomenon to see how children view what it looks like but I think if we accept what kind of life we want and what kind of things we need in our life and not just for ourselves but then for our children then yes I think acceptance is a huge battle and it's a tough one for us all because we all think we're working so hard to give our children a better life and we are, obviously, in many, many ways. But educators, teachers, we all end up subliminally giving our children the message that your happiness or your, your results from this is what's going to give you what you need next. And that, that whole uh, lesson around going to school for all the other things sometimes gets lost. And so what are you seeing as some of the implications of what you've just described there, which I think would be a very common situation? Yeah, you know, I mean... What, what, what are you seeing sort of play out with these young girls that... And, and, I, and a lot of what I think what we're talking about, you know, also is playing out with young boys, maybe slightly differently. We're talking about girls today, but I'm seeing some parallels yeah, definitely. Yeah, I should, I, we know a lot of these messages apply to all children, not just girls. But I feel the reason I take in my work and, and ran with it for work, for girls, pardon me, is partly because I understood what I was like at that age so well. I can I can bring myself back to feeling 13, 14 quite quickly. Also, I the age group that I worked with at the schools I've been at, it was often the girls that benefited from this space that they created in my classroom. You know, it was their concerns that maybe I wasn't getting as many of from the boys or they didn't share them. I don't know. Maybe that was one of them. But I do think what the implications are is that we create this highly unattainable standard for young children or for young females from a young age. You know, I think the the women will say this too at this age I think at you know when they're older but the insurmountable pressure that we put on children to or girls to look a certain way uh, be a certain way do the all-rounder thing but really be good at school but also you know be a fantastic friend and be really popular and be the captain of your netball team whilst you know being a really good daughter at home and charming when your parents friends come over I mean it's it's absolutely endless the types of things we hope our children will grow up to do and become and be and I think that the implication is that the kids burn out or they become so conformist that there's no individuality left anymore we aren't celebrating the uniqueness that your each girl brings to to the classrooms or the playing fields or the difference and if we don't we all want them to look, feel, and talk a certain way. We're not actually bringing in opinions that are unique, and we're missing out on that. Yeah, let's go there because I think that's a great place to go. You know, I'm, I'm seeing and I've heard of parents who have been going through all sorts of different journeys with children who are, you know, transitioning. They're not um, conforming to the, the the gender that they, you know, were born with. There's, you know, you've touched on your son being diagnosed with autism many listeners have got something going on in their homes where there is either 
um, an accepted, you know, difference or it's there but, you know, not sure how to deal with it. So um, I'd love you to, to talk about that, whether you're sharing a personal experience or just, you know, navigating that as a parent at this such vulnerable age, as you say. Yeah, and again, I think I think parents are probably more guilty of it than the children. The children, by the way, don't seem to have any issue with differences. and They seem to love kids with difference and they're drawn to those um, differences within their communities and their schools. And, you know, my, my daughter came home celebrating a young girl that she met at netball. And then she said to me, Mommy, you know, she doesn't have any, just to say when she comes over, don't be surprised, she doesn't have any hair. And I said, oh, okay, so she's shaved it off and she says no no she's going through cancer treatment mommy she's lost all her hair but she's chosen not to have a wig because she doesn't want to hide that she isn't well and I said wow that's so brave of her and, and Tiana said yeah but why she, we should all know that so we can be careful or we can you know talk to her and, and, I, and I was really impressed and proud because I think immediately most parents would think right let's get her a wig or let's make her look as I'm going to put the word normal in quotes, but normal as possible, because we're all trying to attain standards or look a certain way in family photos or Instagram or wherever we're posting our family photos on so that we all are curating a life that everyone else perceives as, as going just fine, just great. And actually, when we are going through something difficult, we then feel too scared or too nervous to share it. And I think sharing is the biggest which is the, the the fear of really it's, it's about the judgment of others isn't it absolutely the rejection I mean, that's what it the is. fear the worry and then we parent from a place of fear we don't parent from a place of love we we, we are parenting from that place of absolute worry around rejection and not fitting in into the community and being looked at a certain way and of course we, you know we're all guilty of probably at some point making a judgment call on a parent on a plane or a parent in a restaurant where the child is is having some sort of terrible time. But I think, again, it goes back to the empathy superpower that I think we need to teach and, and, and embrace way more. If we all had that bit of empathy to think, gosh, we don't know what's going on in that child's life. We don't know what's causing this sadness in this child at the moment. And just take a deep breath and let it pass it will be fine right but it's because we don't want to be judged we don't want to be looked at we don't want to be given those stares that we're constantly trying to cover it up and that covering up becomes the problem and what do you find um can help with that like as a parent do you find that you sort of have a uh, you say something um you talk about things more openly or you, you encourage your kids to I mean yeah yeah you know I didn't have these talks growing up with my family I didn't know how to talk about autism around other people I didn't I just didn't know what it was I had no clue I was completely ignorant and had terrible stereotypes in my mind about what an autistic person must look like or how they must present um so it, I went you know when the doctor told me all those years ago about my son I absolutely thought I would do everything and anything to fix my child you know I really went through a journey myself as a parent um, because I thought if I gave him all the therapy in the world and I was using all sorts of words around autism but not the word autism because I didn't want everybody else to have the vision that I had about my son and not to see his hugely 
open, big, loving heart or his wonderful sense of humor and all they would see is him as somebody who had autism and that would be his identity and I just didn't want that, you know, because he's got so many other attributes that make him who he is. Um, So I went around, you know, like a headless chicken from one therapist to another trying to find ways to cure this out of him and make him blend. And really what I learned through my journey is that's when the greatest tension in our family was, when I was not letting him be who he was. And of course, his sleep you know, went off the rails. His anxiety levels went off the went off the roof, and he wasn't even born with any anxiety at the start. You know, it wasn't that he had those, or he didn't have sleep issues when he was a toddler. It only happened when he started going to school. And I tried to put him into a school where he wasn't comfortable. It wasn't he wasn't understood. You know, so all of that really taught me that this was me trying to make him something he isn't. And so the implications, as you said earlier, are kids whole emotional social regulation goes out the window when they aren't understood or when they aren't embraced for the things that they bring to you. So there's a lot of acceptance as a parent we go through and then there's a lot of really building up our kids and sharing that information around the community. So conversations like this one are huge. The work that I'm doing and writing articles or blogs, you know, read them. If someone's got a book out on a child with a difference, it's not just for parents who've got kids with difference. It's for the other parents too. Such a good point. And, and thank you for sharing that. Like your, you know, your personal experience and being really open about that, um, Again, that book I mentioned earlier, that that was kind of that path to acceptance. And then there's there's a chapter in that book on autism and there's a chapter on, you know, deaf children whose parents quite naturally wanted them to be able to have, you know, cochlear implants so they could hear. Mm. And these kids had started to really identify with deaf culture and they didn't want the cochlear implant. Mm. You know, and it's like it's so natural. You know, we think I'm a coach and... You know, we talk about the drama triangle and the tendency to rescue and, you know, that we that we all can continue to work on unhooking from the, um, you know, the criticism or the, the judgments of others. But so much easier said yes. than done, isn't it? And yeah. someone who I work with, you know, she always says, like, our children's behaviour is a language. And there are times when I look at my 14-year-old, I think, well, what freaking language is that? You know, <laughs> Yeah, but to your point, you know, bedwetting or or sleep issues or um, you know just really playing out. There's stuff going on, and my learning, all I can say is, you know, and we talk about it starts with us here at Go to Grow, like it's part of the mosaic. And when I say it starts with you as an individual, it doesn't mean all the answers lie there, and it doesn't mean that's where all the problems lie, but that's where the intention to develop, to take an action to learn and, and gain support. And that's where, you know, that's kind of my journey with four kids is their behaviour is generally in some way connected to what's going on in our family orbit and and highly, you know, connected to, to what Stuart and I are. And in my leadership role when I've consulted with people who are making big decisions about moving countries or, mm. you know, taking a job somewhere else or, you know, moving into state or going overseas and they fret about these young children and the change. And I say, you know what? It's about you as the parents. Like, yes, there's a settling in. Yes, there's change. But if you're good, if you're up for the adventure, 
you know, you are everything to them. Really, you are, you know? Yeah. It's true. I think when you talk about growth, I think a lot of an adult's growth comes from unlearning all the things that we've learned, really. it's. I think we have to be open to unlearning. And I think that will help our children continue to grow in the way that we hope, you know, for our future generations and leaders to become. Is it, I love that. Is there anything that in the work you're doing you've seen as something that, that, that may be a pattern or a theme around we really need to unlearn that? I mean, we've, t- we've touched on this idea of, you know, working hard and, yeah. and the implied and otherwise messages that come through to our young girls and the pressure and all of that. Is there anything else that to grow as, as parents and leaders we could do with unlearning? Yeah, there's. I mean, this is probably. I mean, it depends on so many areas of, of of what you where you grew up, what you thought. But I think, for most of us, if we just learn that we're all people with emotions, and we are all going through something at this time, and we can treat each other with the same human love and we should for each other as people rather than as CEOs as head teachers as therapists or as children you know we're all connected and we are all part of a bigger family and I think you would do anything to look after your family wouldn't you you would go out of your way to make sure that they're really well looked after and I think if we do that for everyone around us, then we are continually building a strong foundation for our kids to go out into, into the workplace so that they are looked after. And, you know, it, we're all part of this equation. If we can unlearn the standards by which we judge beauty, for example, for girls particularly, that would be massive. If we could unlearn the differences around race and stereotypes about what we say, I think if we could unlearn things about what jobs are male jobs and what jobs are female jobs, uh, things like that are really coming to the forefront, obviously now with the first you know, female vice president in the White House of color, you know, two big things for girls to to really hold on to. I think these things are coming and they are coming quickly now and using um, social media not as a place for I don't want to use the word showing off, but it does feel like the curated elements of social media seem to initially be to make everybody else feel slightly less good about themselves. So even in lockdown, I don't know if you saw this phenomenon about the number of people posting about how their lockdown experience was a time of growth because they were able to learn another language and learn how to make sourdough bread all while doing headstands on the roof, you know, and and learning a new instrument and all of that where lots of parents were just grappling with the day-to-day and making sure their kids were having dinner and going to bed at a certain time, which was really okay. And I think that part of it needs to normalize and we need to unlearn putting this kind of pressure on ourselves. It's so funny you say that because I, I, I kept hearing that come up too in the rhetoric about you know artisanal sourdough bread making. But then I came across someone who was doing that and I thought to myself, you know what, don't judge Melissa because he doesn't have kids yeah. and he's hardly leaving his apartment. And so the fact that he's learned to make sourdough bread, like, yeah, doesn't mean that, it, you know, so that was, it, again, for me, it was all about that kind of diversity of, and just not um, taking, 
on a message that actually wasn't intended in that case. But, you know, I'm sure in some other cases, you know, there were. No, yeah, I should totally caveat that. I I just want to make sure, yeah, I I totally think what we have to remember is context. You know, I think if that is a skill for you, and I think there are lots of people that you know, had a very different experience and said that I'm really, I live on my own. I don't have, I wish I had children and dogs and people to keep me busy during this crazy mm. lockdown period. I envy moms that are so busy or dads that are so busy because my day is so long and so alone and I'm so alone. So making sourdough bread for those people was a huge you know, out. It was an escape. It was wonderful. It was a new skill. I don't mean to judge anyone in that man. I just meant look at the context. Yeah. I think that's right. It's not this bypassing of like, yeah, you know, let's just kind of, I hear that you're all struggling, but, you know, let's do this and let's, yeah, no, I I, I totally get it. But, you know, I I think this feels like a great place to end because this notion of unlearning and everything you just said, in my personal experience, takes something to be able to do it, and that is slowing down. Mm. because if we're rushing and we're rushing as women and we're rushing as leaders, how can we really have compassion for ourselves and others? You know, and that kind of, so just that's my big, big learning over many years. And that's what I want to help women and leaders learn to do before I did, which yeah. is to really, you know, be able to, feel a sense of connectedness and and satisfaction in their lives in their personal achievements and their work achievements yeah and and you know I I think that takes it takes it takes it takes slowing down and it's and it's a leap of faith to go well that sounds really uncomfortable and I was just talking yesterday or earlier this week when I recorded um, a podcast episode and I said you know what all that discomfort that we experienced last year and we kept showing up and it was uncomfortable. It was great practice for this year because it's not changing just because the calendar changed. So let's just, you know, continue to gently step into that discomfort of slowing down mm. and taking that leap of faith and unlearning. I love that as here we are talking <laughs> about growth and how yeah. growthful unlearning is. Yeah, I think leaning into discomfort is like a massive breakthrough point, isn't it? I think there's a, there's a, absolute thing uh, truth in the fact that we don't like feeling uncomfortable it's a natural human instinct we want to feel like we do when we're at the beach and the skies are blue all the time and why shouldn't we it it brings us lots of joy but I think for us to really truly grow if we don't sit in those moments of discomfort if we don't engage our young children in conversations that are hard you know they're not easy to have these conversations it's important for us to be transparent with our kids and say to them actually I find this really hard to talk about too you know you know it's okay to be honest it's okay to you don't need to be this emotionless or very strong person who has all the answers you know it, it's, well, it's like you were saying let's take the masks off let's yeah. let's stop pretending we've got all the freaking answers because you know we don't we and really they don't. don't they know we don't yeah they that's true too but i think having them hear us say it it's refreshing and that's when i mentor these girls oh, when yeah. i talk to these girls and i say to them watch me make this error watch me do this wrong and they just think what and i said no let's celebrate it let's celebrate this mistake because mistakes really that's when we when we look at those mistakes and we think about ah you will really learn something from that experience if you if you continually keep getting success and you keep getting everything landed to you on a plate what are you going to learn from that not much 
discomfort, failure, all of these things bring us so much more growth. Can I teleport myself back to a 10-year-old and have you as my mentor? I just love that you're doing this work. And I think I mentioned to you earlier, I've got a sort of celebration day coming up this weekend and there's a night on Thursday just for the mums first Mm. with the educator and then we've got a full day together. She's with the girls for half a day and then the mums come in for the other half a day together and it's this whole celebration of sort of stepping, you know, towards womanhood and you know and and it's great and I think wow isn't that there's been a lot of change though in one generation like that kind of thing wasn't really on the radar for for when I was at that age and I kind of made a parallel to you know when fathers uh well when when my mum's kind of generation were going through childbirth you know the dad's tended to drop the women off at the hospital (laughs) and I think you know when I was born my dad was at a party or something you know and now here these men are for the most part and I'm sure this varies in different cultures and so forth but yeah you know they're catching these babies and they're cutting cords and that's just all happened in one generation and it gives me hope and optimism and I look at what we're doing around our young girls and our and young boys as we as we help them transition and celebrate into manhood and actually i'm just reading steve budoff i never say his name right his his first book which is called manhood and i i'm just getting so much from that as well so you know i think it's a great topic and um i love the fact that you are mentoring these young girls and and please continue to do it and i love the content you've been putting on social media so i'm going to put all of those um i'll put your links in um, the show notes here to make sure that people can um, find out how to find you. Amazing. Yeah, no, thank you. It's been wonderful to have this opportunity and it's so nice to hear that it's called Celebration Week and celebrating you for who you are is all the messages that we want these young girls to have. So it's, you know, keep on, keep on. It's definitely something we've got to keep doing and, and I think it's wonderful to have met others in the same area. So thank you for having me. No, thank you and... And thank you for reminding us all about unlearning. So let's have a great 2021 Grow Tribe (laughs) and enjoy your growth. But I'm going to say enjoy your unlearning as well. Thanks so much, everyone. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening. I'm very excited as we build this growing community of growers And I'd love to hear your feedback on anything you want to hear more about people that you think would be great for us to have a chat with. Please leave me some feedback or if you want any support, use the functions via the podcast or the email, the Facebook group or the Instagram, all of it in the notes. I'd love to hear your stories. I'd love to see your pictures of you growing and what you're working on. Please share the podcast and review it in iTunes as we build this community. Thanks so much.